0: So each year, we try and do something a little bit different and with a bit of a different feel, and as you would have perhaps noticed if you have been here before, that uh, this year's theme has a little bit more of a serious tone to it, uh, because whether we realize it or not, and if you come from a traditional background, you know that this time of year is is referred to as Advent, which, which basically means there's a waiting, there's a longing, there's a yearning, there's an aching. And what I think sometimes we struggle to put together, is that very often there's a desire beneath the desire. There's a question beneath the question, which refers to a longing, an aching, a, a yearning, and a waiting. Now, a couple of thousand years ago, there was a waiting period for the Messiah. Since then, we've been able to celebrate the fact that He has come and that He represents God being with us and inviting us into a relationship with Him, but there's still a waiting there's still a longing, there's still an aching, there's still a yearning. If you're someone that longs to understand, there would still be a questioning going on, regardless of where you are in your journey with God. So whether whether you're exploring faith or whether you've been on the faith journey for decades, there's still a questioning going on. Maybe you're someone that that just delights in beauty and creativity, and so this is like amazing for you. Others are like, "Wait, are they going to sing all the time?" Like, but but for others, you, you you can just take in every little, you can appreciate the creativity behind every prop, every word, every chord, and there's a there's a longing for beauty. I think it's a God-given longing. You you, you drive along the coast and you are filled by nature. You're filled by the sea changing, the waves, the, the wind, or maybe you go near the mountain and you are, you are fed by the beauty and the, and the, the meaningfulness of the created world around us. But, but there's a disappointment, there's a gap, there's a longing, there's an aching, there's a yearning because it's not perfect. And you're very aware that there's so many things in life that aren't perfect. Maybe you've been wired in such a way to care more than most about justice. And so there's an aching and a yearning. Sometimes, sometimes it can actually derail you just how deeply you care about there being perfect justice in the world, perfect order. Maybe you're someone that wants to get things right and so, and so any, anything that's out of order, anything that's not quite fully in control, it, it creates a tension and it reveals an aching and a longing and a yearning. Now, I believe that that speaks to part of the way that we've been created, part of the way we've been wired, where actually we, we do long for perfection. We long for perfection in relationships, and if you've been in relationship with people for any period of time, you know that that's almost impossible. We want there to be perfect relationships in terms of diversity, and, and people coming from different backgrounds, and ethnic, uh, ethnic groups, and languages, and, and it burdens you that, that it isn't perfect. I believe that that's a God-given ache. That's a God-given desire. Now, the answer, I do believe, is represented by Christmas. However, in my opinion and my experience, the answer is often underwhelming for people. Not the answer to the questions, but the answer to the question beneath the question, which is the longing and the yearning and the aching, not, not the answer to you being able to experience everything that you'd like to experience from a tactile, uh, you know, sensory point of view, but, but the answer to the yearning beneath the yearning, which is for everything just to be right. Can anybody relate? Just for things to be right? Like, can it just be right? Can Eskom just keep the lights on? Can we have a, one president that doesn't have to go through a trial? Can, can everyone just get along? Can people just stick to the laws of the road? You know? There's a yearning. And I believe that it all speaks to, it all directs us to presence. Christmas speaks of presence. The, the name most attributed to God, to Jesus in particular, when it comes to the Christmas story, is Emmanuel, which makes which means God with us. God is with us. He is present with us. And this is why I say that it's often disappointing or underwhelming for people because, again, if you're wired like me, you want the answer, but you might not get the answer, but you may get His presence. And His presence, I believe, actually can satisfy the question beneath the question more than if we just had the understanding. I'll give an example. I think of of our daughters. We've got three girls, different ages, and I I think back to certain experiences with them, our youngest cut herself quite badly on a skate ramp when she was about two or three years old and and needed stitches, we rushed her to the hospital. She wasn't needing me to explain to her the principles of if you slide on your bum down a skate ramp and a nail is sticking out, why that's gonna cut into your flesh and hurt you and why you could get infected and why the doctor had to study for so many years so that he could do this thing properly. She didn't need that answer, she needed the answer to the deeper underlying question, which was, can, like, am I gonna be okay? Can I have peace? And because I was with her, there were, so because there was a presence, she was able to trust the doctor to do what the doctor had to do, even though he's sticking more stuff, in like you're like sticking a needle into her flesh. Like, it doesn't make sense to a two or three year old, but her dad was present. Our middle daughter, who's now 18, wouldn't sleep without our presence for the first roughly three years. It was a joy. <laughs> and even when I thought that she'd kind of nodded off and I'd try and like sneak out of the room, she'd like lift that, some of you know what I'm talking about, right? She like lifts the head and, hey, hey, hey. like don't cheat. I know you're not there. <laughs> Just knowing, knowing that, it's not a rational thing. Even though she's a very rational person and wants to understand stuff, but there, but there was a difference made by presence. I'm saying that there is a need, if we think about it, there's a need beneath the need. There's a desire beneath the desire, there's, a, there's a, an aching and a longing and a yearning beneath the aching and longing and yearning. We want peace, we want things to be right. And I am convinced to my core that the only way for us to actually begin to experience that peace is in the presence of the person of Jesus. Our oldest daughter, some of you know the story. We, we started fostering as a teenager, tried to adopt her, lots of complications, but, but she became part of our family many years ago. I remember the one day at school, we got an urgent call by the headmaster, her and another girl were, they had a disagreement. <laughs> uh, you don't want to mess with any of my girls. I'm not even joking. They will all take you out. They're strong, they're vicious, they don't fight for you. They're like their mother. (laughs) This other girl's mother had had arrived before me, and she'd said something about her being an orphan, or something about her not having a mother and a father. She could have killed that woman because of the pain that that, that, uh, wound up within her. And even though we were not her biological mother and father, even though we weren't her adoptive mother and father from the youngest age, we only met her at about 12. She came to move in with us at about 16. When I arrived, it changed. Her dad was there. There was a presence that actually brought a peace. Peace. Was she still angry? Yes. Was she still hurt? Yes. But everything changed. We went up to visit her just recently. Miss is 27 hours. She's living in Funnebel Park and still a lot of complications with her formal documentation. Those of you that are refugees and asylum seekers know how complicated it is. And because of COVID not being able to renew and being in a different city, not being able to renew it, et cetera. So, so uh, in case you don't know this, generally speaking, refugees and asylum seekers are exploited constantly on every level whether it's work and being paid minimum wage because you can't do anything, not paying UIF because you can't do anything, not being given leave and normal work hours because you can't do anything, and then even when it comes to rent, being able to charge whatever they want and rip you off and you can't do anything because you don't have any rights. And she was freaked out again because she'd rented a, a room, it was, it was a hygiene risk, she'd rather ask to leave and the landlord refused to to give her her deposit back. Now, Misha's quite a principled person, so she was angry. And again, I think there might have been a bit of a fight. Not physical this time, I think it was verbal. This other lady was big, so I wouldn't have recommended that she get into a physical fight. But again, even at this age, she's 27 now, because of presence, there was a level of peace that was able to bring a little bit of perspective. I was able to go with her to the landlord. We were able to talk. I left Sue in the car, just so you know. (laughs) (laughs) And we came to a reasonable reasonable conclusion. I'm saying at 27, it still makes a difference. It's not all, it's not. She doesn't receive the answer of why would this, why would another human being exploit another human being? And it's someone from her home country, so it's not, it's not, a, it's not a race issue, it's not a, it's not a xenophobic issue. Like, she wasn't looking for those answers, she just wanted peace. There's one scripture that I wanna share with you before we wrap up. It's quite a well-known passage. You might have heard many different people quote this in different contexts. It's found in the book of John, chapter eight, verse 32, where it's Jesus speaking and he says that you will know the truth and the truth will set you free. You will know the truth and the truth will set you free. Heard that before? We often quote that out of context, by the way. But what Jesus was referring to is, is in fact, if you look at the, the passage before it, so it's always important to read passages of scripture in context. If you read the, the passage before that, Verse 31, it actually starts with Jesus saying to the people who believed in him, you are truly my disciples if you remain faithful to my teachings. Then he goes on to say, you will know the truth and the truth will set you free. What he is speaking of is on the one hand, there's a journey, and on the other hand, there's a promise. The promise that we're all yearning for, aching for, and we can look through this for this through different religions, worldviews. Uh, our own personal morality, our own uh, pursuit of success or relational status or whatever the case is, we all are ultimately pursuing a way of life to try and find freedom. Freedom in the sense of wholeness, health, and peace. And Jesus is saying, yes, there is this promise. You will know the truth and the truth will set you free. But he's also saying that there's a journey. There are steps that we take. Those steps are steps that we take baby step at a time. Again, in my life, the greatest example of that is our oldest daughter, where for years she didn't call us anything. She didn't call us Sue, didn't call us Jason, didn't call us mom, dad, uncle, auntie, nothing. It was weird. And so we just stopped answering her for a while. Like if she'd say, can you pass the salt, please? Or if she'd call out to the kitchen, we would deliberately stop answering her because we. there is something very significant and powerful in the naming, in the identifying. We, we had no issue with what, she could have called us by our first names. she could have called us uncle, auntie, if she, whatever she wanted to. The weirdest is when people call me pastor and pastor's wife, that's weird. But, <laughs> so we wouldn't have wanted that. But, and anyway, long story short, he's one day, so again, this was her choice, there was no pressure. In fact, we actually asked her just to help with the one day. We said, do you, just out of interest, do you ever pray for us? We weren't sure because she came from a very different religious background. So we just asked, do you ever pray for us? She's like, yeah, yeah. We're like, what do you say when you pray? Because then you have to identify in some way. Please, will you bless? Fill in the blank. (laughs) And it turned out it was mommy and daddy. And from that day on, we became mom and dad. But what, what has never been lost on me is that trust was a journey and it continues to be a journey. Because she wasn't born into our family, because she didn't receive that unconditional love from the first day, I've seen the journey involved. And I think that's what we often miss when it comes to a relationship with God. We just want it to be boom. We just want it to be magical. We We just want to have this perfect faith, this perfect trust. But actually, it's a journey. It's as we try and follow Him, as we take the next step increasingly, we will know the truth and the truth will set us free. The truth, by the way, actually refers to Jesus. I love the way that the message paraphrase sums this up. Reading from verse 31, it says, Then Jesus turned to the Jews who had claimed to believe in him and said, If you stick with this, living out what I tell you, so just, just do the next right thing you know to do, you are my disciples for sure. Then you will experience for yourselves the truth and the truth will set you free. We have a longing, a yearning, an aching, and we need to pay attention to the ache beneath the ache, to the question beneath the question, to the desire beneath the desire, and I wanna encourage you that you're in good company if you have questions, if you're longing for perfect beauty, if you're longing for perfect justice, if you're longing for a perfect world, if you're longing for perfect relationships, you're in good company, but this isn't heaven. One day, it will be heaven if we follow Jesus. But for now, we can have his presence, and his presence can bring peace. So Jason, what do I do? Well, you do the next right thing that you know to do. You, you take the next step. Yeah, but what if I don't know what the next step is? Well, ask somebody. Or, or even as you've seen acted out, just simply ask God. And maybe keep asking even if you have no idea if it's Him that's answering you or if it's the pizza from the night before and you're not sure and you're needing to discern, that's okay. Trust is built over time. It's trial and error. It's, it's trusting and then, and then doubting and failing. And try, it's, it's a journey. For anyone that is not even sure what it means to have a relationship with God, well, the next step for you could be chatting to someone at our Connect area. We don't sign you up for a telemarketing campaign. We just suggest one or two next steps. How do I start praying? Where do I even begin in the Bible? It's a big book, this library of scripture. Is there a person I can speak to? So wherever you are, you take your next step. And then for those of us that are already on that journey, I just want to caution you against trying to make earth heaven. So waiting until you have that perfect experience until you feel peace. Waiting until you have all your questions answered in order to feel peace. Waiting until relational conflict and tensions are all resolved before you feel peace. I'm saying we're arguably trying to make earth, heaven and God hasn't promised us that. He has promised us presence. And so I would argue that the wisest thing we can do is keep taking small steps to position ourselves for his presence, calling out to him, asking him questions, reading scripture, reflecting on it. It is about relationship, it is about his presence, and that brings peace, make sense?